We now begin Maseches Psachim, Perak Aleph, Mishnah Aleph. I hope you had the chance to listen to the Hakadama, the introduction that I gave to the whole Masech, to properly orient yourself with the whole scope of the Masech, to what we'll be covering. And here in this first chapter, Perak Aleph, we're going to focus on the mitzvah of Badikas Chametz and Biyur Chametz, that is to say the mitzvah of seeking out Chametz to rid it from your home. And the truth is that that, that mitzvah of Badika, the requirement to search out the Chametz, it's not clear, or it's a machlokas, if it's a mitzvah deraisal to itself, or just a mitzvah derabbanan. And the reason would be a mitzvah derabbanan as opposed to mitzvah deraisa is, while it's clear to everybody that one may not have chametz in his possession on Pesach, and in fact you have two mitzvahs, losas, had two negative commandments regarding the owning of chametz. They're known as bal yira'i and bal yimatzeh, the prohibition of having seeing chametz of yours in your possession and even owning it where you can't see it. Let's translate like that. Um, so you can't have chametz. And there's also a mitzvah ase, a requirement, positive commandment to rid your homes of, rid your home, I should say, of chametz. As the Pasuk says, ach biyom harishon tashbisu soor which, without translating at the minute, means on Ere Pesach you have to, you have the mitzvah of hashbasa, of ridding yourself of the chametz that you have. Um, notwithstanding, one could fulfill that those requirements by doing something called bittel, as opposed to biur. Bittel means annulment, as opposed to biur, which is actually physical destruction. So, since one could, min Torah, rely on simply doing bittel and annulling his chametz, in such a scenario, he wouldn't necessarily need to go and search it out first. Uh, and that being the case, the Gemara speaks out, then the requirement to search out doing the Badika would only be a, a mitzvah to Rabban. So now let's just sort of unpack all that. First of all, um, what are we even talking about? What are we looking for and getting rid of? What must we rid of our homes of? So the Pasuk I read to you, Achbim Harishon, on the first day, this is meaning the first day of the Chag, which actually is the 14th day of Nisan, the day that precedes Pesach, which, as we said in the introduction, is like a quasi-holiday, um, almost like Cholomoed, and we'll see a whole chapter dedicated to not working on the 14th and the requirements of your house of Chametz on the 14th, etc. So there the Pasuk requires you to get Tashbisu Soor Mebetechem, to get rid of this Soor from your home. So first of all, what are we even looking for? Here we're talking about Soor as opposed to Chametz. So the truth is, that although they'll use the term chametz throughout the Masechta, and we define that already in the Hakdama, the chametz is if you have um, flour from any of the five grains, that's wheat, barley, oats, spelt, and rye, and that flour is mixed with water and allowed to um, rise even for 18 minutes, so then we say that that now is leavened dough, and it's chametz and forbidden. Um, in addition, however, you have a separate iser of that applies to sa'or. Now, sa'or is not food, it's not edible, and it's often mistranslated as yeast. This is a terrible translation. Yeast is an organism, it's a living organism, um, and it's it's not a plant, and it's not an animal, it's something else, it's a fungus, and it is the organism which is what causes the dough to rise. However, there's no prohibition about yeast per se. So or is probably best translated as sourdough. It's the leavening agent that one adds to his dough to make it rise. And the soor is actually inedible. It's like sourdough. It's spoiled dough. What they would do is they would, and when they would prepare dough, they would set aside a piece 
of the dough um, to not be baked and then let that further like kind of ferment to rot and then the natural yeasts in the air would go and live and ferment that piece of dough even making it inedible perhaps but then the next time you make dough you will take from that leavening agent and you'll add a bit of it to your dough same when we add yeast to our dough today and that will be the source for the yeast which will allow your new dough to rise and the truth is People had coveted pieces of sourdough. They had, you know, proprietary batches in, in bakeries and so on. So the point is, this or is a leavening agent they would keep. It's forbidden to have on Pesach. It's basically treated the exact same way as chametz is, um, but or is actually inedible, whereas chametz is is edible as food. Okay, but we'll just refer to it as chametz from now on. So you're looking to get rid of that. Now, you have two ways you could get rid of it and thereby not have the problem of Bayira and Bayimatze. The first is Bittel, as I said. The second is Bior. So Bittel means annulment. Annulment means, there's really two approaches in terms of the mechanics, the lambdas, what's happening when you are Mavatel, annulling your chametz. One approach is that you're declaring it not food. You're saying, I know it looks like a cake, but as far as I'm concerned, it's not a cake. It's dust. I have no interest in it. I don't want to eat it. It's not food to me. It's garbage. And that being the case, you annul its status as food and it becomes no longer food and therefore no longer chametz. That's one approach. And for that to work, certainly you'd need a pasuk to understand that notwithstanding that the objective fact is that it's a cake and it's edible as a cake, etc., you are empowered to declare it, as far as you're concerned, garbage, dust, not food, and therefore it wouldn't be chametz anymore. That's one approach in the Mepharshim. The other approach is, like Tosos, that what you're doing in Doing bittel is simply equivalent to being mafkir. So again, English, bittel means to annul. Mafkir means to declare onerous. So since the prohibition is that you may not have chametz in your possession, if you declare it onerous, you're mafkirit, you just relinquish ownership of your cake. So now it's not your cake anymore. So even though it is a cake, but it's not your cake. And therefore, since it's not your cake, you're not over the isser of having cake. And we should know, it's a side point, but just to illustrate the point here, one is permitted to have, let's say, a Gentile's cake in his possession, in his home even, on Pesach. That's what we do, Mechiris Chametz. I don't discuss Mechiris Chametz, the selling of Chametz at all today. But the point is, if you sold the cake to a non-Jew, or if you non-Jew put it in your cupboard, and the fact that it's in your, it's on your property doesn't make it a problem, because it's not your cake. We're worried about it being your Chametz, and therefore... If the way that Bittel works is you relinquish ownership, so it's no longer yours anymore, so therefore you're not over having the problem. Okay, so whatever the mechanics are behind Bittel, everyone agrees that Bittel does work. If you annul the cake before Pesach, you either make it not cake or not yours, so then there's no problem about having it on Pesach. And that being the case, there'd be no need to do the Badika, the search for Chametz, as this mission will talk about, and before Pesach, because you don't need to search now. Wherever any cake and other chametz happens to be in your whole home, you simply say, listen, I'm a vatlet, I know it, and then it's gone. It doesn't count anymore, and you have no problem. Um, according to that, the requirement to do the badika is simply a durabanan requirement. It is an indeed requirement. We'll see, you need to do both. Since the Torah would allow for the bittel, we're adding a separate rabbinic thing, which says even so you could be mavatel and anal it, still we want you to search it out, notwithstanding. Um, so that would be other approaches is that it's it's part and parcel with the other way of getting rid of your chametz, which is hash, which is um, biur. Biur means destruction. So there is a one shita in the Mishnah that it's specifically burning that's required. However, 
the halacha is that any form of destruction of chametz, making that the food no longer is food, is a fulfillment of the requirement to do biur, destruction. So that means you could burn it, but you would also could grind it up into powder and throw it into the wind, or you could throw it to the bottom of the sea. And so when the point is you've gotten rid of your chametz, and no longer is it food, no longer is it yours, so then that's going to be sufficient as biur, as destruction. Now, of course, if you're going to destroy your chametz in your possession, you first need to identify all the chametz in your possession, and therefore part and parcel with the destruction would be the seeking out to identify and find all the chametz ahead of time. So maybe that, according to that approach, the badika is a mitzvah to itself, a necessary part of searching out, so you, so you can destroy the chametz in your possession. So our mission is focusing on that. Halach lamaisa, we do both, meaning we both, we everyone does a badika for sure, and then we do both a hashbasa, the bi or the destruction of the chametz, the minigas by burning, as well as the bittel, we also annulled, we say kol chamira, we make a declaration that if there's any chametz we didn't burn or got past us, whatever the story is, and we declare it as as uh, like dust of the earth, we relinquish ownership of it, slash consider it not food, and therefore we sort of um, have the belt and suspenders approach of getting rid of the chametz through beer, and then in case something got past us, we have bittel. Now, the question is why isn't bittel sufficient by itself, since it works and it's really much easier than beer? So there are a few approaches in the Roshonim. Um, we can basically distill them down to three. The first approach is that while it's true you could do bittel and say that my cake is not really a cake or my cake isn't mine, the problem is um, on Pesach, the problem is you may not really mean it. You may say the cake is really dirt and dust, but it's not dirt and dust, and you might on Pesach see that cake and think, hmm, looks like a delicious cake, not delicious dust, or not dust at all. And that being the case, according to some, the problem with doing relying on the bittel is you just may not mean it. A second approach is that you do mean it when you say it, but later on when you see that delicious cake, um, you you change your mind or you didn't you now intend for a moment to eat it, which therefore retroactively shows that you never meant it in the first place. Different approach. The third approach is you did mean it and you can't undo it retroactively, but you're still notwithstanding that you meant it, and the bittel was there when it was there. If you leave food lying around your house, next thing you know, without thinking, you might come and eat a piece of cake on Pesach. And therefore, it's simply imprudent, um, bit or no bit, to have cake lying around on Pesach. So we require you to still get rid of it. So those are three basic approaches and why bit alone is not sufficient. And we require also the beer. As far as the beer by itself, it's self-evident why that alone isn't sufficient because it's very possible that you didn't destroy every last kazais of chametz in your possession and something was left under your bed or in the back of the cupboard and now you inadvertently we're over the Isra of Balyaran Balyamata, and therefore we do Bittal also to make sure that we're for sure safe. Okay, so that's what we're trying to achieve over here in this Mishnah. We start out now with the actual mitzvah of the Badika of the search. So the Mishnah says inside, Orla Basar on the night of the 14th of Nisan, Bodkin Esa, Chametz Lor Haner. We do the mitzvah of Badika, we search out Chametz by the light of a candle. Now, first of all, the word Or means light with an L, as opposed to night with an N. And although I translated it as night, the word, of course, literally means light. So the question is, why in the world does it sort of say by like the day, by the light of the 14th as opposed to the night of the 14th? And the answer is that although we're definitely talking about nighttime, and we're talking about nightfall on the beginning of the 14th, the day before Pesach Seder, that's when the mitzvah of Dika comes in. Um, the Tana didn't want to start with the word night or darkness, whatever it is, because... It just seemed a little, uh, you know, too too negative. We wanted a more positive way to start things out. And even though it's true 
that there are plenty of times where the Tana uses the word Lila, referring to night, and doesn't think that's too negative to mention. Here we go with what's called Lushan Saginohar, which means euphemistic language, as Chazal often do. Saginohar literally means um, sufficient light, a reference to a blind person. We don't call them blind, we call them sufficiently sighted, just euphemistically, right? Actually, we mean the opposite of what we're saying. Um, that's the way that Chazal refers to things sometimes. Rather than saying the negative, they put it in a positive, which really means the negative. So here, too, we're saying light, we mean darkness, and it just, even though we have used the word Lila, referring to nighttime elsewhere in the Mishnah, to start a whole Masechta with darkness just simply seems too too, uh, too negative, and therefore we start with this this way. So Ur Labasar means on the onset of nighttime, on the 14th of Nisan, there's the Mitzvah of Badika, which means that Chazal made a specific mitzvah to do it then. The Badika happens on the night of the 14th. And why specifically the night of the 14th as opposed to, let's say, the morning of the 14th or the you know, the night of the 13th? The answer is that we want a time when it has two benefits. First of all, nighttime is when everybody is home. Normally in the time of the Mishnah, certainly the daytime was for working, the nighttime was for being home. People didn't work out their homes at night, typically, and therefore we can make a time when everyone will be home to do the mitzvah of B'dikas Chametz. The second thing is that, since we're going to see in a second that you have to do the search by candlelight, um, it's much more effective to use candlelight in the darkness. Everyone knows the most dangerous time to drive a car is at twilight, because it's not dark enough, and the headlights don't work sufficiently well, so you just don't notice things because, you know, it's not dark enough and not light enough. When you use a candle, so that casts, you know, it casts relief, you know, causes shadows um, to be more pronounced, and you can see little crumbs in the back of the closet, etc. So it's more effective to use a candle than not, but the candle only works when it's otherwise dark. So then you can, the things that you're lighting up stand out. So therefore, it's specifically nighttime of the 14th, everyone's home, and candles are effective. So we say here, Bodkin, it's a chametz, lower haner, we do the search for chametz with the candlelight. Again, candlelight was probably the best, was certainly the best light source they had at the time of the Mishnah. Um, and actually, they specifically couldn't use like a torch, a bigger than a candle. The reason why is because it's it's too much light and also too much heat, and you'll be nervous about burning your house down, etc., using a torch. So therefore, you won't do a proper search because you won't want to stick a torch under your bed lest your bed catch on fire. Um, nowadays, even candles are kind of dangerous um, and not that great a source of light compared to, say, a flashlight, and therefore, many people have the custom of using flashlights instead, Flashlights cast better, brighter light, and there's no fear that you're going to burn your house down when you use them. And therefore, there's a strong modern-day um, practice of using a flashlight for searching. And certainly you're required to do that. If you're going to be looking inside, you know, the back of a cupboard or under your bed, using the regular light is not sufficient. Your light bulbs, you have to use some artificial light um, to cast shadows, um, a candle if you want to. Probably better to use a flashlight. And... So the minute, I think, by many, like myself, is for the first five minutes of B'dikas Chametz on the night of the 14th, the kids are around, they're very excited, and you do the sort of symbolic candle with the feather and the and the spoon to keep the tradition of yesteryear alive. Um, but really, when you're actually doing a real search, put the candle away, because you're, you're nervous to burn your house down and spill wax, etc., get out a flashlight, and then use the flashlight, and specifically by nighttime, not during the day, by nighttime, to search out all the dark places in your home to check if you have chametz over there. <clears throat> now the mission continues. A new principle. Kol makam she'ein machnisim bo chametz, ein sarach badika. If you're talking about a place when one normally does not bring chametz, so then there's no requirement to do badika in the first place. 
even if you're not sure that you never brought chametz there, if presumably you wouldn't bring the chametz to such a place, so there's no requirement for badika. So that, listen, nowadays, if you have little children in the house, kind of all bets are off because any place is a place that your kids could put chametz because those kids take those Oreo cookies and pretzels and stick them who knows where. Um, but assuming you don't have the wild card of kids running around the house, sticking pretzels where you don't know where they are, so then, you know, if there's no reason in the world why you'd put you know, a pretzel on the in your safe on the top of your, your bookshelves and in the back of your, your closets where you keep your whatever. Um, so no need to check there. You have to check only where it's the some likelihood that you might have brought some food there and inadvertently left the food behind. That's Allah Lamaisa. Now, that being the case, the Mishnah says, Velama Makam I read that not great, but let me speak it out here. There is a tradition that preceded the Mishnah. That is to say, before the Mishnahs were written down or they were, you know, edited into this definitive final text called the Mishnah, there were traditions that the time learned, father to son or Rebbe to Talmud, that they memorized, um, and they knew them. And then Rebbe Hudnasi is the one who sort of formalized the specific ones to be included in the Mishnah text. Those which were included are called Mishnahs. Those which were excluded are called Brysos. The word like bar means outside, the left out of the canon of the Mishnah, if you will. By the way, there's a machlokas between the Rambun Rav Shri Ragon, if even Rabbi Yehuda Nasi wrote down the Mishnahs, or simply just made a definitive oral version, which was then memorized orally, but not actually written down even then, only it was written down later on. The Rambam says it was written down at that time. But as it may, um, the Mishnah is referring to some version of the Mishnah, if you call, if you call it that, lowercase m Mishnah, that was memorized and repeated um, for generations, let's say, before the Mishnah was codified. And if for the Mishnah here, when our Mishnah says, you don't need to check for chametz in a place where you don't bring chametz, so the Mishnah is wondering, sort of saying, I know you all learned, and your parents learned, your grandparents learned, that you have to check these two rows in the cellar. And if you think about a cellar where you store wine for long term, you'd think that's the kind of place that no one would ever bring food down there. So if that's the case, why in the world should you have to check any of the rows of the wine cellar? So the mission answers. We're talking about the kind of wine cellar which is functioning kind of like how our refrigerator functions, meaning in the middle of a meal, you might run out of wine and send someone like, say, the servant, whatever it is, to go to the wine cellar, like go to the fridge and bring us more wine up. And he might have some bread in hand and put the bread down. He picks up the wine barrel and end up leaving the bread atop some barrel there in the wine cellar. So our Mishnah, um, coming on the fact that there's such a tradition like that, is going to say, Lama Amru Shtei Shuros Bamertov. Sorry, So why do they talk about these two rows in the wine cellar? So the Mishnah answers, it's a Makam Shmachnisam Bochamet, the kind of wine cellar that indeed um, you would perhaps bring food in there if you use it as a refrigerator in the middle of a meal. So now, what do those two rows look like? The mission ends up by having machlokus between Beis Shammai and Beis Hillel, what we're talking about, the two rows. So, Beis Shammai omrim shtei shuros al pnei kol hamertaf. Beis Shammai say we're talking about two um, outer rows throughout the entire cellar. So, according to Bartonura, who says the pshat like Rabbi Yochanan, we're talking about, if you imagine like a like a three-dimensional matrix of of barrels. So we're talking about the, the outer one facing you, like the front one, um, and then also the top one. The Bartonura says it's meaning a shape kind of like 
a letter gamma, which we would say in English like a letter, an L shape. So it's the whole front and the whole top. Those are the two rows. We're talking about the two outer rows, the front face and the top face of the of the stack of barrels in the wine cellar. That's the Rabbi Yochanan's approach that the bartender brings. Uh, Rabbi Yehuda, the Amora, argues, and he says that when he says two rows, it means like the front row facing you when you walk into the cellar, and the row behind that. So not the top necessarily, but just the front row and the second row behind that are the two rows we're talking about is the outer rows. Um, fine. And Basil Omrim, Shehen Basil say, no, it's two of the rows that are the outer upper rows of wine barrels. So the Bartunur brings up shot like the like Rav. It's a Machlokas Rav and Shmuel, the Amorim in the Gemara. Bartunur just brings a Rav, and Rav Shita is that it's the we're only talking about the 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 face, like the closest barrels to you when you when you come in the Meritaf, in the wine cellar. So it's on the very top row, and the row directly beneath that. Those are the two rows we're talking about over here. But if you would say, for example, have a a, a stack three barrels high, the lower, the bottom row of barrels not needing to be checked. And similarly, if it was, you know, three rows of barrels deep, it's just the front row of barrels that are getting checked, the highest one and the second one. That's Rav, that's the Bartonur's explanation that he brings for Basil. Um, Shmuel understands when we say the two upper outer rows, we mean the highest row again like Rav, but not the one beneath it, but the one behind it. So it's only the two top rows. So if you have three high, it's just both on the third highest row of barrels, but it's the one closest to you, that row, and then one row behind that. That's Shmuel's approach. Brought in the Gemara. Again, the Barthur just brings like Rav and the Halacha. Presumably, it would be like base Hillel and like Rav, top and second row, front facing you of the wine cellar.